We are live. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Founder Hacks, our podcast where we share something we've seen, something we've read, and something we've learned that's been a source of inspiration for the entrepreneurs and founders that we work with. Let me start by saying hello to Mr. Alex Moore. Hello, I get to go first today. Hello, you usually ask Anthony to go first. Don't you? I try I try to switch because I know you guys get funny. So <laughs> I don't, I don't. Anyway, hello. <laughs> hello, and uh, an equal hello to Anthony Enright. Equal but secondary, but I'll take it. <laughs> so this week, we've got some founder hacks um, that we felt were connected by the theme of almost the structural engineering that we sometimes find ourselves having to do as founders in the way that we run our business. And we've got three examples that speak to some of these challenges. This feels to me like a big theme, right? Because so much of how we organize and architect a business can come down to this sort of structural engineering. But I think these are three interesting examples that we've seen, uh, read and, and learned about recently. Uh, that we will share. And I think I'm starting this week with something I've seen. So uh, with your permission, I will share. And thank you very much. And the thing I've, I've seen recently is we had a project that was falling off the rails somewhere. It wasn't delivering for the business what we wanted it to. We wasn't, it wasn't doing the thing. And one of the team says, do you know what? Let's just sit down three times a week for a 15 minute meeting on this topic. And let's see if that makes a difference. And and there was a little resistance because what can you do in 15 minutes, right? A lot of people go, oh, 15 minutes, not enough time, it's not good enough. But what we found was just that very, very regular attention, it actually made a massive difference. And I was quite taken aback by how much and how quickly it changed the whole nature and attitude around this particular project. It went from being a bit of a problem child to something that everyone was rallying around. You know, the right people in the room, 15 minutes, really structured agenda. Uh, we had a really disciplined little tracker of tasks and issues and priorities that came out of it and just really went with the full um, engineering of, of, a, of an approach to take this forwards. And I was really taken back by you know, what a difference little and often makes. You wouldn't think, okay, that's literally just a few minutes, a few times a week, and suddenly you're on course for a totally different outcome. So I guess my question for you guys, I don't know if that resonates if you've done something similar, right? That'd be interesting to hear about. But also, yeah, have you found examples of like, when do you know when to put a little structure like this in place? What are the triggers when you go, actually, do you know what? We need to engineer our way out of this. What are your thoughts? Who'd like to go first, Mr. Moore? Yeah, that this one really struck a chord with me, Ben. Uh, the power of the you know fifteen minutes is very, very. Uh, for me, that's the sweet spot. And three is interesting. I've done it during rough times every single day, and you know I've I've tried every single day for five minutes. Three times fifteen minutes seems like a good balance. To me, I like it. it, it forces attention, but it doesn't paralyze the business because everyone's in meetings the whole time about this incident. So it allows people to get, get on it, but it also shines a light on things. And another thing I found is people, it stops people hiding. I was reminded of a, uh, somebody I met many years ago and he'd worked for Lloyds Bank for 35 years. I said, how did you end up working for Lloyds Bank for that long? And he goes, well, I just hide, Alex. He said, well, I'd never do anything 
unless somebody asked me twice. <laughs> I thought that is such a, what a weird way to go through life and do your job. And I think, you know, stuff like this, it's, you do, you know, sometimes from my experience, I, you know, shining a torch, a light onto the business and the people inside it and going, what's going on? You can't hide, I've found, if you do that. So yeah, I'm big fan, big fan. What do you think, Ant? Uh, well, you're talking about meeting rhythms here, and this is something really close to my heart. And uh, I see a lot of the organisations that I work with, one of the first things we talk about is their, the way that their people communicate and what effective communication looks like and what effective meeting rhythms look like in order to get the most uh, out of the individuals within your team. So I would always, always say daily huddles for your teams are essential. Now, this is slightly different, and I'll come on to Ben's example at the moment, but if you're out there and listening to this and you're wondering about why aren't people, you know, why do people come to me and go, oh, I didn't know about this or that wasn't very clear, if you start thinking about having daily huddles with your team, that can start to really open up lines of communication. And there's a really structured process that you can follow that I'm happy to share where you can be really specific in a very short period of time. But this is different. So that's more about the day-to-day -day running of a business and checking in with people, making sure there's no place to hide. But Ben's example here is about a project that's going off the rails and, and what we just need to put attention to and where we're stuck. And I think this is absolutely the, the definition of perfection when it comes to this sort of thing, because it's little and often. So it's ensuring there is, again, no place to hide, but people have short, sharp attention to go, okay, so if the next 15 minutes is in a day or two's time, what's the small thing I need to do in order to progress this situation in that period of time? And my experience uh, is that people spend so long in meetings, right? In some organisations, they spend so long in meetings, they spend 90% of their time in meetings, even in small organisations that are looking to grow and scale. And they have very little time to execute. And what's brilliant about t three 15-minute meetings is that it's short, sharp, it's to the point. There's no place to hide. There's nowhere to go. It's like, what? what's the agenda? And Ben, to your point, I think I'll just highlight again a bit of repetition, but... Um, the person that chairs the meeting is really important. Who's the timekeeper? Who's the agenda holder of the agenda to make sure we're disciplined in the way so we actually don't have any time to talk about the weather? It's no, we're here to focus for 15 minutes on this very specific thing. Here's an agenda. You've got a minute each to talk or whatever it may be and a minute each to tell me what you're going to do next. Great. See you in two days' time and see how we're progressing. So I, I see with organisations up and down the country that this sort of thing really, really works, but there's quite a reticence to put them in place. People think, what, how can we get this much done in 15 minutes? Well, how long do, I always say, how long does it take to run a mile, right? And, uh, and in 15 minutes, you know, you could run three miles in 15 minutes, so we can get a lot done. Well, you can run three miles in 15 minutes. I'm not sure I can. Well, I was just about to say, <laughs> and I always then caveat with saying, not me, I can't run three miles in 15 minutes, but it there are some people done. that can. It can be done. Well, listen, thank you both, and, and, and what a lot to take away there. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that uh, we've hit upon something that is... Uh, approved by anthony enright the, the fabulous business coach <laughs> very good well let's move on um i believe this week anthony you've read something you'd like to share yes yeah, a nice full of contradictions isn't it and I'm, i fear that with this next one that i'm about to contradict everything that i've just said about our scene because um where we're talking about discipline and putting things into place and following a rhythm and um, my read um this week um is 
I decided to pick up a, a book that was recommended, uh, happened to be by Alex, um, called Karma, Easier, Happier Boys. I've got two boys at home. And from time to time, anybody who's a parent um, has children is knows that the challenges are always there. They just change. And I decided to pick this book up about one specific issue that we were having. And when I when I went through it and got to the chapter, it was like, yeah, it's really simple, isn't it? Goodness me, the solution's really simple. I just need to do A, B and C on a regular basis. And then I was sort of reminded about like in my life and in my world and what I've just described in scene is that most things that we're trying to implement you know, are quite simple. The processes are quite simple. But why is it that we don't follow them? So I read that. I read the I read the process. Do this, do A, do B, then do C, repeat X amount of times per week, and you will start to see an improvement. And I went, yeah, that's really simple. But I haven't done it. I haven't followed it. I haven't done it. And so often I hear, I remember hearing uh, various facilitators and coaches and trainers speak and go this process is simple but the 90% of you in the room won't do it and I don't know why so I just thought you know as we're looking at the engineering of running a business when things are so simple why is it that sometimes things really sing for us and why is it that other times as simple as they are we just we just don't get to them mm. and <laughs> and we don't implement them just wondered what our thoughts are collective thoughts are on that Ben I'd have a go. I mean, at one level, the first thing that came up for me was, well, that's that's what leadership's for, right? That's what leadership's for. That's what management's for. Um, in any shift of behavior, in my experience, you have to have maybe one or two or three or a small group of people who are 100% bought in and are ready to facilitate the change. To, to be the change they want to see, to use a bit of a, a cliche. Be, people want to see the example. And and I think, yeah, to go back to the example I've seen, well, actually, in this instance, it came from it came from me. We are going to do this. And it took a level of direction. If we go to the sort of situational leadership type thing, perhaps these are the times where somebody needs to take that responsibility and somebody needs to give the direction that this is going to happen in a business context and a personal context uh, yeah i think that is even more challenging right it, it's uh, and i think probably i know alex is um i know alex is a big fan of james clear and, and the habits model but there's a lot of writing there maybe about the psychology of, of developing a new habit um, I think we've all talked before, perhaps on Fowler Hacks, about the uh, the uh, the personal trainer who said his objective was to get you to floss one tooth. You know, if you, if you want to start a change, you've got to start somewhere. And, and maybe sometimes the, the solutions that we see outlined in the writing and the, the business thinkers, one of the, the things I often feel, and a bit of a criticism, is, is it's given to you as a like, as a whole lump you, you've got to do all of this and you get the solution and of course that's really not the way humans function we don't like doing big things all at once we're actually much better with incremental progress and and perhaps a lot of my favorite business thinking is all about that incremental progress rather than saying yeah well all we need to do is get our sales team our customer team and our supplier network all just perfect and then it'll be fine won't it 
like, well, that doesn't really help me because where do I start? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's that's often where I see entrepreneurs struggling. I'm sure you've got something to say about this, Alex. You're, you're all about the habits. You know, I love the habits, but yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm always talking about James Clear because I, I, I really love it really... Atomic Habits, his book, really struck a chord with me. Yeah, to me, what I'm picking up, what I've written down here on my little notepad, which I will scribble on, is, is execution. And yes, having an idea, having a system, having a process, it's, it's yes, great. That's great intent. But to me, it's all about the execution. Intent's great. It's a start. It gets the wheels moving. Execution is the thing, how well it's executed. And this is the pride that somebody takes inside the organization of doing it well. And then it's the sort of feedback loop, the recognition, the monitoring it, or the checks and balances you put inside a business to make sure that that's all observed and kept going. So that things, another very interesting book, Good to Great, Tim Collins talks about the flywheel and the flywheel of a motor. When you pull it, you pull it, you pull it. And one day it magically will boom, keep going and the flywheel will go. And that's to me, is all about execution. So that's that was my comment. Was that helpful, Anthony? Yeah, I think the two two areas here is about leadership. Who's going to own this, right? Uh, who's going to own it and make sure we do it? And I guess it doesn't have to be, you know, for, for different processes or different routines, it doesn't have to be the same person, right? It's nice to hear a different voice. So it could be somebody else in the business who's leading it saying, right, we're doing this now. You know, and this is the amount of, of time we're going to spend. And then just just do it. Execute. Just just. Get it done. Start the flywheel because once you start, it will. The flywheel. Once the flywheel starts, um, it, it's so much easier. Um, and I remember it from um, the days of, of working in a sales environment where you would there would be certain activities that needed to be done every day, and you would just put them in the diary. Each person there would be somebody accountable for ensuring that everybody followed that. And you said, right, ten o'clock, we're doing this. Everybody for an hour, let's go. Um, so I think both of those actually, you know, set you free. More of a challenge in the personal because you have to hold yourself accountable. But um, yeah, uh, really interesting. Ben, you got some more thoughts? Well, the one thing that came up when you were saying that for me was that, and it is a bit of a James Clear thing, because what was interesting about our former example and that applies to this is that actually because we've had a meeting rhythm and structure in place in the business, adding this to it was quite easy. And I think sometimes if you can find something that already exists to hook it onto, that's where you can engineer your way through some of this stuff. You know, whatever it is, it might be that you, you you have a team that's in the habit of, oh, we all go into an office on a Thursday. Oh, great. Well, while we're there, we're going to do this thing as well. So if you can hook it onto something that's an already existing habit, I think sometimes that can be a path um, to, 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 to getting over that initial hump of, of where do we start and, and how do we get the flywheel moving? Well, do you know what? Let's look for a flywheel that's already moving because it's probably easier to get that moving in a slightly different way than it is to start a completely new one from scratch. And I think this dates back to even to like the very earliest stages of a business. It's really funny if you, you can look at a business literally day, almost day one or day two of that thing becoming real. What does it do then? And you can often then look back at it in five years and you go, oh, wow, actually, because we did that then, it's still happening now. I mean, I remember with our current business, I think when there were three of us, we, we started doing a daily huddle. And I think we felt we were a bit mad because we all sat next to each other in an office for the rest of the day. It was like, right, we're going to do our daily huddle. Um, but because we did that then, now as our business has grown and we've got 
a larger team that that is still there as part of the cultural fabric and it gives us something we can build other things on so looking for those things that are already there and building i just felt was another little interesting yeah opportunity awesome awesome stuff so on that note i think we've got to move on um we're going to come on to our learned and alex you've uh, you've learned something You've learned something in the last week. Yeah, it was um, again on this this subject of engineering, building things. It's it's drafting agreements, and I've uh, I've recently had to fix a couple of different messes um, in different ways. I've been focusing quite a lot of time on it actually, without getting into too much detail. And I'm looking at dismantling a couple of things, and uh, it's it. It just reminded me, I thought, oh, I'm going to talk to the guys about this on Fan Hacks. It's the importance of looking at an agreement when I love structuring deals. I love, I love that sort of hustle, the game of business and looking at a point of view and trying to structure it in a way that, you know, it, I, I get what I want out of a deal, but also it works for that other person. And there's that balance of getting it right. And it's probably that middle ground where everyone's a little bit peed off that no one quite gets what they want, but that's okay. And then that's, that's the easy part. But I think I've always neglected the part of how do I dismantle this agreement if it doesn't go right? And that's what I wanted to talk about today, the engineering of an agreement or a, you know, a, a structure of agreement that making it easy to dismantle, I called it the Lego strategy. So you can take it apart and it's all okay without a big fallout, without a big bust up, without putting lots of money in lawyers' pockets. Right, this is how we're going to structure this agreement, guys. Yep, this is how it's going to work. This is when you pay it. This is how it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, this is how we are going to say goodbye and all shake hands and sail off into our respective parts of the sunset without having a big bust up. And that's really what I wanted to talk about. So do you think people spend enough time on structuring things so they can be pulled apart easily and everyone can walk away. What, what's your what's your take on this, guys? Ant, do you want to go first, mate? I think the answer has to be no to your question. I don't think people do spend enough time thinking about what happens if this doesn't go right, even though there's a lot of boilerplate stuff in agreements, which is working towards the point, the fact of if it doesn't go right. Um, um, so people don't, and I wish they would, um, and certainly something that I've learned to do over the last uh, few years is have an agreement in place and, and make it before anybody ever sees a contract, just make it part of 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 the negotiation. So this is this is the situation. This is what you get from me. This is what it costs. And if we, you ever don't feel the need or if you feel the need to cease or stop, etc., this is how it works. So it's very much up front. And so something that I do, just an example, is that, that one of the benefits for me in some of the work that I do is um, it's a month by month um, process, like a membership almost. Um, so what's in my favour is that I'm able to invoice for the month ahead. So I'm able to invoice in March for April and people need to pay by the end of March. Um, I know if they want my services in April, so it gives me good cash flow. I don't have to be chasing invoices, etc. However, the um, end point for them is if they don't wish to continue in April, they just don't pay that invoice that they receive in March. And it's as simple as that. And what, what I found, and thankfully it doesn't happen too often, but, um, but actually somebody in December said to me, look, next year is going to be really tough. We can already see um, the downturn coming. I think we need to pause the work we're doing with you. And, 
Um, we've just received December's invoice, so if it's okay, we're not going to pay it. And it was like, now, nobody really ever wants to hear that somebody's saying, you know, let's pause, especially when you, you've got a good connection with the business. But that's the reality of, of doing business. And it was like, yeah, absolutely. And at the end, they actually said, wow, that, that, that was so simple. You actually you know, followed through what you said you would do. And it's never been as easy to walk away from something. And I think you have to, I think you have to be mature enough to, to make it easy for people. Because if it's not working, it's not working. Make it easy to walk away rather than having this long, drawn out contract. So I guess what I've done there is given you one specific example. But Ben, your thoughts? I, the, the thing that I was sort of comparing this to in my head is it feels a bit like a prenup. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I was sort of saying is that an interesting metaphor to apply here because there are times when you're agreeing and it is, it's a marriage it's a forever thing now and sometimes actually putting a prenup on the table during that sort of maybe could dilute the level of commitment the level of um, robustness the level of clarity people have that this is what we are trying to do here I mean, I guess the example I'm thinking maybe could be a, if you're merging two companies. This is a one-way street, guys. This is a one-way street. There is no option here that this doesn't end well because once it's done, it's done and it's forever. Uh, and the measure of us will be how we lean into a new reality afterwards. So I think there's got to be times, right, where um, it's almost you know, impossible. But then what's probably important is to know which, which one we're in here. Are we saying this is a forever thing? Are we saying this is something that we may one day need to make a different decision around? And having the consciousness to think that through at the time when the parts can still be moved, at the time of negotiation at the beginning. So, of course, you know, the immediate reaction to Alex's point is no, people don't spend enough time thinking about it. I guess for me, the other side of it is Maybe sometimes it's important to know if this goes wrong, it's going to be a really big mess because we're going to have to make this work and we have no other option. Um, and that sort of obligation being in place, because uh, that's real sometimes, right, in, in some circumstances. But then equally, I think we have to recognise when it's things amongst people, people are never forever. <laughs> you know, all people move on, all things move on. So maybe that's the clue here, is that when it's involving people working together, um, that ain't a marriage, that ain't forever, and really never will be. So it's it's what are we in service of, right? Interesting. Yeah, I think that's an amazing point. Yeah, really interesting. Good point. Though. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. I think very good. I think on that note, we are at time. Uh, so as ever, I will do my best to summarise. So. When do you need to step in and engineer a new approach to a problem? The power of little and often we've seen create radically different outcomes, perhaps prompted by hiding teams or people. Perhaps if nothing is happening because people need to be asked twice, finding a way to shine a light with little and often and create a new rhythm can throw challenges into a whole new relief. And of course, it may be a contradiction, but Anthony found inspiration in Karma Happier Boys. The solutions can seem simple, but why don't we follow them? Maybe it's leadership. Maybe there are times we have to step into a more directive style and hold accountability, whilst, of course, offering 
recognition. It takes sustained effort to start a new flywheel in your business, but it will eventually, given time, pick up momentum. And if you can find a flywheel already in motion, that could accelerate the adoption of new engineering marvels for your business. Finally, how do we engineer a deal? Although it may seem counterintuitive in the first flush, understanding how it can be unwound sensibly and calmly could protect you in the future. On the flip side, maybe sometimes it's right to leave success as the only option. Perhaps the involvement of people who are rarely forever can give you a clue as to whether you need a Lego-like deal that can be broken down into components part and rebuilt in future, or you're looking for a, a rock that will be with you for all time. Great found hacks, guys, as always. It remains to say a massive thank you to Mr. Alex Moore. Thank you, guys. And an equally massive thank you to Anthony Enright. Thank you both. Until next time, this has been Founder Hacks. I've been Ben Thomas, and thank you very much indeed for listening. Mm-hmm.